Welcome to another episode of Saints and Sinners Unplugged. I am Pastor Ken Jones of Glendale Baptist Church, and we are joined this morning by one of our other three co-hosts, and that's Pastor David Menendez. Uh, the younger crew <clears throat> are not with us today, uh, but this is a special session because um, we want to spend our time today and probably the next time we get together to talk about a new book, and uh, that the author of that book is one of our other regular co-hosts, mm -hmm. and that's Pastor David Menendez from Tamiami Baptist Church. The book is entitled By Gospel Alone. The subtitle is A Historical, Doctrinal, and Pastoral Counseling Perspective on the Primacy of the Gospel. So even though you're not a guest, uh, but you are sitting in somewhat of a different seat this morning. So welcome, David. <laughs> it's good to be here as always, <laughs> missing the other two guys. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, we'll have to find something creative to say that they are doing as to why they're they, not exactly. here. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, maybe hungover from, let's see, let's, let's say Halloween. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, David, um, I know over the years you've been working on a book, and Correct me if I'm wrong, but this was your doctoral thesis. Correct. correct? Yes. yes. At Knox Theological Seminary. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> and I remember reading it mm -hmm. in its in its rough draft. Yeah. And the the idea uh, behind the book was uh, it was intriguing to me, and I think it was mm -hmm. it took on a very necessary topic uh, as it relates to understanding the gospel and the implications thereof. So here's where I want to begin, mm -hmm. and I'm going to say this now, and I'll say it again later that if you don't have by gospel alone, I think it's one of those things that as you work through the content, context, and implications of the gospel, anyone who is new to the doctrines of grace or anyone who wants to, to understand the substance of the gospel, this is the book to have. So we strongly encourage you uh, to pick it up. Now let me begin with this question. Now, early in, in your introduction, you call your book an apologetic plea on behalf of the gospel. So what exactly do you mean by that? Yeah, I, I think the gospel, which um, it, it's a doctrine that comes to us by revelation mm -hmm. in Scripture and then revealed by the Holy Spirit, it's not natural. Okay. So once we um, kind of settle in a type of complacency about the gospel— and we deal with so many other issues that our Christian faith, mm -hmm. um, you know, provides. Our Christian faith is so encompassing in terms of doctrine and ethics and Christian mm -hmm. life and, you know, and so forth, that sometimes I have felt uh, historically and even personally that we forget that the ever-pressing issue of the day is the gospel and, and the necessity to articulate it for us mm -hmm. and for those that hear us. So now I know in the past um, when I was with White Horse Inn, Mike Horton often spoke of assuming the gospel. Right. And almost to the sense, in, in the sense of everyone knows how to use it in a sentence. Right. But we somehow yeah. get careless in terms of understanding what it actually is. Right. So your emphasis <clears throat> As in, in looking at your book as an apologetic, usually when 
we talk about apologetics in, in Christianity, it's defending sure. the faith. So yeah. what you're yeah. what you're trying to defend here, if I'm understanding this correctly, yeah. is the content of what the actual gospel is. That definitely, and I would say even defend it from our own tendency towards unbelief. Mm. In other words, if I'm not hearing the gospel daily. Yeah. I'm not receiving it myself, and I'm not, as a pastor, proclaiming it. Yeah. Our unbelief, which manifests itself personally, corporally, and historically in many different ways, will take over, mm. even when we are busy doing very important things for the faith. And, and we're going to touch on that uh, uh, in a moment. In fact, let me move to the second question we want to ask, and it's a little, uh, it's, it's a little elongated. So if I understand your thesis correctly— you're making the claim that although uh, it is important to define and distinguish the gospel from its effects and implications, we, including those who would identify as being reformed, are not always clear in either defining or distinguishing what the gospel is from what it produces or some of its implications. Right. So let's let's talk about that because I think that's where even in the uh, introduction you mentioned how people sometimes confuse the gospel for necessary fruit or yeah. you know certain yeah. aspects of the gospel but let's let's distinguish that what are some of the things that can get in the way Yeah Well the the, the good things of the gospel are the things that the spirit produces in us if we mm -hmm. could sum it up under the heading of sanctification, that's okay. a good thing, and we affirm that truth. Mm -hmm. And it has to do with the work, the personal, real, subjective work of God in us by which we bear the fruit of the Spirit and the new obedience. Um, however, I think there's a lack of, of distinction between that obedience mm -hmm. and the category of the obedience of the law, new obedience, mm -hmm. and the category of gospel, faith, and grace. Mm. So, um, you know, the Bible uh, says that it is grace that trains us, that teaches right. us to live in a sanctifying manner. Right. So there's a there has to be a definitional space for grace, for the gospel. But I think we have some subsumed both mm -hmm. in what seems to be the tendency personally and historically in what we do, what is happening in right. us and through us by way of the fruit of obedience. Now, you, you mentioned a couple of things in that regard where sometimes the actual definition of the gospel gets lost. Uh, we define it in terms of moral transformation, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes social issues, <clears throat> our interaction, and all of these things yeah. are – in other words, if all of these things may be driven by our embrace of the gospel – but we have to be clear in distinguishing them from the gospel. Right, right. You know, um, there's a term that I use in the book that I called uh, gift living, as opposed to work yeah. living. Yeah. And uh, gift living is, um, addresses the idea that we receive everything that is spiritual from God mm -hmm. by way of gift, and that gift is in the person of Christ for mm -hmm. us. So um, I think what happens is that um, we fail to see the dynamics of how we receive life from God. Mm 
okay. and then morph the reception of those, the, the working out of those benefits in our lives as uh, categorically as defined by the gospel, and that is what the gospel is. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that if, if I'm obeying uh, the law, they will be, for example, one of the terms used in the Bible is the obedience of the faith. Right. The obedience of the faith, uh, or another one is the righteousness of faith. Well, many historically have identified that with, yeah, it is faith that works. Mm-hmm. Hence, they load the concept of faith with the working part of mm-hmm. faith, which would be the consequence and the fruit of faith right. or repentance. The effect of it. The effect of it. Mm-hmm. So it, th- there is a necessity for clarity here, mm-hmm. which historically, uh, when we see what happens right out of the gates of, uh, of Christian history and the early Christianity, all through the Reformation and even within reform offshoots mm-hmm. of our own tradition, we see that there is a tension always here. Right. And, and other arguments that I make is that it has to do with the view of the covenant, whether the covenant is conditional okay. versus not conditional, only on faith, well, and, and, and other issues and, of the sort. And, and in that regard, if, it is, if, if they're making this confusion or mm-hmm. con- confusing the content of the gospel with its, <clears throat> with its product, then that, as you mentioned, that could be an intentional categorical consequence of how they understand covenants. Correct. Rather than really confusing what the gospel is. Yeah, yeah, I think in some cases it is an Mm -hmm. intentional you know, category of covenant in terms of there are some conditions. uh, Mm -hmm. And then also uh, categories of faith and repentance. Yeah. Perhaps where um, a covenantal theology is not as strong. And maybe just the idea of faith and repentance, mm-hmm. you know, some of the Reformed brethren would say, well, yeah, that's a gift from God and so forth. However, uh, you know, the gift of the Spirit is given us so that we may then, on the one hand, believe and on the other hand, abandon and forsake sin. Right. And these two are necessary conditions, if you will, unto salvation. Yeah, so that, at that point, Right. When that happens, yep. then you're actually conflating the content of the gospel with what it's supposed to produce. Correct. And I would, I guess, in a very practical sense, it's when we see it at the level of the layperson, um, that's how people start to define the genuineness of a person's Christianity based on their behavior. Correct. Uh, you'll hear things like, well, uh, they, you know, you hear about what someone says or does yep. that is antithetical to God's law. Right. And then people will say, and they're supposed to be a Christian. Correct. Yeah. So what you're proposing yeah. is that if, if we understand mm. what the gospel is, we're not going to say that it is absent because of a person's behavior. Not yeah. to say that that immoral, yeah. unlawful behavior yeah. is okay. The pastoral consequences of getting this right, the distinction between law and gospel, are tremendous. Mm-hmm. One of the ways in which I've heard this, which I think is very detrimental to the faith of believers, especially those that are struggling, is if you are living in sin, yeah. you are not born again, period. Yeah. I think that kind of blanket statement betrays yes. a lack of distinction between law and gospel. And with this 
pastoral detrimental yes. ramifications. And we're going to be talking about uh, <clears throat> some of the practical aspects mm-hmm. of, of this apologetic, yeah. as, as you mentioned it in the book. And one of the things that you do emphasize is the importance of law gospel distinctives, which we address a great deal in, yes. in, in this program. But before we, we get to that, let me, let me go to your definition of the gospel, which I think is very important, by the way. And sometimes people, um, people uh, well, w- let me read the definition, okay. and then we can interact with it. He says, and by gospel, we mean the doctrine of Christ's perfect God pleasing life as empowered by the Spirit under the law in order to be the Father's incarnate Lamb of God who takes away sin by his atoning, reconciling death for the justification of sinners by faith alone without their works, merits, or obedience before God. It is the doctrine of faith, grace, and Christ alone in order to be thus received and embraced by the lavish, abundant, and unconditional loving mercy of the triune God. That's a mouthful. I packed packed a lot in that sentence. (laughs) I could have written it better. (laughs) No, no. There's there's a certain, even even with the abundance of words, each word is aptly placed. Yeah. It's Thank I don't you. I don't see any wasted words hmm. in there whatsoever. Hmm. Uh, there are sections, and sure. the, the first part that yeah. I think is very important, hmm. and I've argued this in several uh, in several places over hmm. the years, that the one part of the gospel hmm. that a lot of people Christians miss, hmm. and this I think ends up leading to them trying to define uh, genuine faith by by a person's moral conduct. The first part, the, the part of the gospel that is often missed is what you say here, that um, it is the doctrine of Christ's perfect, God-pleasing life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. the gospel, right. many Christians will say yeah. that the gospel is Jesus died for our sins. Right. And even on the reform side, right. when it comes to uh, eternal security, mm-hmm. part of the reason we believe in eternal security is because we believe that Jesus atones yeah. for all of our sins, right. past, present, and future. Yeah. But we don't have the same type of precision when it comes to the first part of the gospel, mm. which is Jesus lived a righteous life, mm. and all of his righteousness yeah. is credited to us. Right, and and that is the the, the gospel proper. Yes. In other words, we, we could affirm with others that there is a broad sense in which we can speak of gospel. Sure. Where we say, you know, in the gospel, in union with Christ, will deliver to you sanctification and the fruits and all the way through glory. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the broad sense of speaking of all. That in the gospel truth entails. However, the the gospel core, mm-hmm. or gospel proper, is the person and the work of Christ. There is a trinitarian language and understanding there. That's mm-hmm. important. There's substitutionary, uh, an element, an atoning element there. That's important. But then there is the the sufficiency or the finished work of Christ under the covenant yes. of the law. Yes. For 
in order to deliver freely unto us, which is the next piece. Yeah. In other words, how does this come to me? How do I receive it? It's already been done, and then I receive it freely, meaning, and I'm going to use here Luther's words, mm-hmm. meaning, without love mm. and before love. Mm. Those two, I think, words are important because love, our works, are never part of the instrumentation, conditions in any way, shape, or form to be accepted by God. Right. And this is where some, um, with we would contend with a lack of proper distinction between law and gospel, mm-hmm. would and with an understanding of covenant that would be conditional. Right. And with an understanding of repentance as forsaking and abandoning sin. Mm. Uh, would then say that, yep, we're saved through faith and all of the above is true. However, the conditions of the covenant are such that we also must be found obedient as in sanctification. Now, and and to that point, when when you say, or not you, but you're defining uh, a group that within evangelicalism or among Christians that that hold to that, that view, that yes, this is what the gospel gives, but... And, and behind that but yeah. are usually obligations as it relates to or obedience. Sure. And one of the reasons I think it's important to look at those two dimensions of the gospel itself yeah. is that really, and, and I think what happens here is if we understand that first link there, right. that Christ lived a perfect God-pleasing life where he fully mm. obeyed. Yeah. everything that God requires right. in the law, then what that does yeah. is it raises the value uh-huh. of his atoning death. Yeah, Because if, if what Jesus died for is to purge you for your sins, here's mm-hmm. what ends up happening, even if people don't articulate it this way. Okay, now that he's cleansed you, it's up to you to do the rest. Now you mm-hmm. you are empowered. Now right. you are able to be that yeah. perfect human being that God has called you to be. Right. Where in actuality, <clears throat> the one who laid down his life, is the life that he laid down mm-hmm. is a perfect life. Mm. And that is as yeah. much yours right. by faith yeah. as is his atoning blood. Right. That's the life that stands before God in yeah. God's tribunal. That's the life by which I am accepted. In other words, even though we affirm and we must affirm our obedience as sure. a necessary consequence, or if we're going to talk about condition, I would say we need to qualify it as such that our sanctification is a consequent condition, yes. mm-hmm. but never and never an instrumental right. condition unto, and the way that some folks have put it, people that we admire mm-hmm. and we have learned much from, is that there is in front of us still a final right. justification. Yeah, and we're going we're yeah. to interact probably in our next session specifically with some quotes. I know we don't have time to open up those quotes right now, Mm -hmm. but later I want to take on some of those quotes and we'll leave it up to you as to whether or not you want to cite them. No problem. But I I think that is important. Um, I don't think Christians, well-intended as they may be, uh, preachers, we don't understand the road that we're embarking on when we say that okay, Jesus has died for your sins, hmm. and now we look at a person's conduct right. 
as to determine whether or not you've earned what he died for. Hmm. Even though we won't use that language, no, that's, we won't. What it, that's what it ends up being. You need to somehow prove yeah. that you have it. Yeah. You need to somehow, because that's part of what gospel delivers, mm-hmm. and, and it's part of what makes it uh, genuine before God. In other words, the working part of your faith is part of your of your um, somehow, you know, mm-hmm. and it gets qualified and nuanced in many different ways, but it's somehow part of what is required, or a word that is used mm-hmm. that I'm opposed uh, to is of what is necessary yeah. for salvation. Yeah. So works are necessary for salvation, and we understand when we say works are necessary for salvation as far as the works under the covenant of works that the Son entered into and performed and finished for us. But to say that works, the works of follow, the works of obedience, the works of sanctification are necessary for salvation, in my estimation, and that's part of my contention in the book, Mm -hmm. uh, can be confusing. Mm Mm-hmm and can be detrimental to the articulation of the gospel. So in place of necessary, would you use the word consequential? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah, and and consequential, hmm. even with that, those works yeah. stood standing alone mm-hmm. are still unworthy. Of course. See, and, and that's what yeah. I, I don't think they and, and, get. Yeah, they wouldn't. Uh, well, some of the, I guess, from our own Reformed tradition, they, mm-hmm. they, they would get that. Mm-hmm. But somehow that's still part yeah. of the gospel, you know, the necessity of gospel realities that God delivers in keeping with the mm-hmm. new covenant. And that is then how we are saved. So so there's a lot of distinctions here sure. that we need to make. Our time does not suffice. But Well, <clears throat> to uh, Rod Rosenblatt, and we've had him on in the past, great Lutheran brother, uh, dear friend. He used to always say this about law-gospel distinctives. Mm -hmm. He would say that the law is what God demands, and the gospel is what he gives. Mm -hmm. But then he would follow that up by saying, and what he gives in the gospel is what he demands in the law. Mm. Now, it seems to me that with your nuance Mm -hmm. description of what the gospel is— The reason what Rod says is important there yeah. is because I think what, what he's saying mm-hmm. is that what God gives yeah. is the fullness of the obedience of Christ. Right. And what he gives is the full satisfaction right. for all of your sins. Correct. Judicially. Yes. That's why, even though it's a wordy description yeah. of the gospel, yeah. there's no wasted parts there. Right, right on, as as, as Rod would say. <laughs> I've been immersed yes. in his. But uh, you know, historically, you see it. Some of uh, um, some of the, the 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 figures that we admire through history, to the likes of Saint Augustine, when mm-hmm. we analyze them thoroughly. We see and, and we, we know that uh, St. Augustine's prayer of uh, demand what you yeah. will and, and, give, pro- what and give what you demand. Mm-hmm. St. Augustine is talking about the righteousness that he's, he's going to give it by grace. He's, mm-hmm. he's not Pelagian. He's anti-Pelagian. It's going to be the work of the Spirit in our lives, but it's going to be the righteousness that he's going to work in us. Yeah. And yeah. that's a distinction that we must capture in Augustine's thought, sure. which we have definitely influenced Reformation thought. And and that was going to be my next question. Why do we have such a problem 
embracing the gospel oh. and everything that oh, that's it gives. That's a great question. I think I think we suffer from, uh, and this is always there. Uh, there's the need to to be able to have some sort of a uh, embrace a validation. Mm. Uh, historically, even it happened to the early church. Mm-hmm. They were contending with heresies, and the Roman Empire said, "You know, we're not we're not cuckoo guys. You know, right. we're in keeping with some traditions and historically." So I think there has been an attempt on the part of uh, of historians and histor- theologians to say. Um, in other words, to, to emphasize the continuity at the expense mm. of the discontinuity historically. So in my book, mm-hmm. I emphasize the discontinuity because my standard is this gospel sure. of without and 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 you know uh, without and before works. Right. And when you analyze and survey the the, the historical landscape, immediately it gets mm. lost. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's a good place to end this first session. Uh, again, um, man, it's a great book, and I would encourage all of our listeners to get it. Uh, this is this has been a great discussion, David. We will pick it up next week, and we want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. If you uh, are listening on radio, don't forget you can get this as a podcast. You can go to Apple or wherever you get your podcast and download Saints and Sinners Unplugged. That way you can get all of our um, previous uh, discussions. And leave us a review. Let us know what you think of these discussions. But this, again, is Pastor Ken Jones, joined by David Menendez. Mm -hmm. Thank you for being with us, and we look forward to being with you again next week.